Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are in Wade's office. My name's Mike, and we're joined with, um, this will be your second time on, Jeremy? Mm -hmm. Jeremy Zima, who is the uh, professor, one professor of music here at Wisconsin Lutheran College, although that's not his claim to fame. His claim to fame is playing church festivals in the greater city of Milwaukee and his band Rebel Grace. Right? Yeah. Did you play State Fair? Is that true? Uh, I played State Fair five times. Oh, wow. See, now that's big time. That's I've been trying team. to make it. Uh, it's been on weekends when we've had sports, but I want to make it one of these days just to be able to say, uh, I know that guy. It, uh, um, Dr. Zimmer also had chapel today, did a very good job on prayer. Ephesians 6, am I right? Was it? That's right. Um, so, uh we are very uh, blessed to be in his presence today. You might hear the air conditioner in the background. It is, is it over 80 now today yet? It's just humid. It's, it's got hot again today. We are not in the backyard anymore. We uh, probably won't be back there much now for a while because we're on campus a lot now that the semester has, has started. What are we talking about today, Mike? We're going to be talking about philosophies of music, plural philosophies of music. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how far we go. So uh, we're very excited to have uh, Dr. Zima on. Um, before we get going, we'd like to remind you that we are part of the 1517 Legacy Project, their podcast network, and you can check them out. Um, they have quite a few different podcasts. Uh, my favorite's Thinking Fellows, and they had a good one out. I haven't listened to it, but you guys were talking about it out. Off, off air with, with uh, uh, Plus and Nest again. Yeah. Nest again, always a good uh, listen. With, Can I say uh, what my favorite is, Mike? Yeah, sure. My favorite uh, is Virtue in the Wasteland with uh, Thinking Fellows and Ringside being pretty close together yeah, also, too. Yeah, so, thank yeah. you. I'm also a fan of uh, Thinking Fellows podcast. Listen to that pretty much weekly. I was doing 40 Minutes in the Old Testament for a while. They really, they, they take their time. Yeah. <laughs> They'll get there. So long as it's 40 minutes. That's yeah. not our gift. It, uh, I will say, too, I saw um, they shared the a while back, and, and we should note, you can now get to 1517 stuff um, without having to, to type all the extra stuff by just going to 1517.org. Um, so you can get there, and that can get you most places that you want to go as far as finding the, the podcast as well. We should probably mention, Mike, too, uh, who is on the prowl back on campus. We should probably let them know. Oh, uh, Dr. Mark Brown, who is, uh, is he tied with Pastor Dobler for the most times as a guest? or These are the, day, the times we need Peter for, but Peter's all with this baby and everything yes. now. Um, it's very close, and we have a little bit of rivalry between Pastor Dobler and Dr. Mark Brown about who gets to go on first. They both have T-shirts now. They both have episode ideas they've shared as well. Yeah, they are. They are being. They are not just uh, gracious to come on. They're gracious to give us ideas, which actually yeah. is very helpful. So feel so. free to uh, do one of those surveys Peter talks about. Just go to uh, um, Let the Bird Fly slash polls or something. Polls who's podcast your favorite? survey something. Um, shoot us an email at email let the bird fly something and uh, and let us know uh, who should come on next but what matters is we have Dr. Zimmer with us now to talk some philosophies of music lest we get in trouble though and someone have to sue Ben uh, Mike why don't you go ahead and give us a disclaimer this show doesn't speak for our churches our church bodies or our employers to be honest much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us we will be thinking out loud a lot so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything, especially what Wade says. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. 
And that brings us to our free-for-all where uh, Peter says we talk about the the pressing things. Is that the pressing things of our lives or something like that? But once again, uh, baby and all that, um, he's probably uh, taking pictures of the baby right now. He likes to share pictures of the baby. So I'm, I'm guessing that's where he's at. Um, Mike, I do want to just remind you so that we don't forget, we do need to have a free-for-all when Ben is back about bees oh absolutely um uh if you don't if you don't know this about benjamin lyrer what's his middle name do you know his middle name is danger benjamin danger lyrer um he is knows a lot about bees yes and he's concerned about the shortage of bees as i am Uh. um and so we can have a free-for-all like maybe what's what's uh more important or more dangerous a hornet or a bee or a wasp or a wasp um I was stung by a bunch of bees um, early in the day a a couple weekends ago, and then me and the boys were all attacked by, well, I shouldn't say bees, I'm defaming their reputation, by bee-like creatures. And and Ben in our Telegram group made clear that they probably were not bees that attacked me, and not a swarm of bees, and he has a trap he wants me to use. Without without any sense of concern for you at all like oh i hope you're not allergic or are you swelling up all that must have hurt he just wanted to correct you on the and so then i found an article about how important wasps are but um he says they might sure maybe they uh pollinate but they're not as good as bees and so we do need to remember at some point when we have been on maybe he's listening to this and we're ruining the surprise but we need to have a uh, this is like a time zone issue some of you might remember early on um, one of the free-for-alls, Ben, took a big stance op- opposed to time zones. That's still a T-shirt we need to get, hashtag not my time zone. Um, so we do need to remember bees. But our free-for-all for today, um, since we have a uh, music professor on, is music, uh, guilty pleasures. Um, it could be a genre. It could be an album. It could be an artist um, that we would turn to uh, for a guilty pleasure that maybe we wouldn't share with everyone else. Um, Mike had an idea right away. Um, so, Mike, why don't you well, go first? Well, I, I didn't. I, music's not... I, I don't listen to as much music as as you two do, but um, I'd have to admit that some of the the recent hip-hop stuff I kind of like. Not hard stuff, but like um, work. Mm. Is that one? Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you getting into this uh, Machine Gun Kelly Eminem diss fest here? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not a big Eminem guy, even though he's... I know he's our brother in michigan i actually uh, i actually just played for um my guitar class so i teach class guitar today i i don't know i was i was talking about something else and and uh and all of a sudden eight mile right came in came into mind i started playing the opening riff to lose yourself you know the uh the kids they 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 thought it was they thought it was pretty sweet it's a good song i like um british punk from the early 80s oh okay like the I, clash and stuff. Yep, I like I like all of that. Just that kind of that vibe and that feel, that genre. So, um, and I'm not. It's not a guilty pleasure. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm not, you know, but uh, so that's kind of probably the ones that um, um, stick out to me. I'll go next, just because I I'm, we have an expert that can go last. But uh, um, I want to say first, I do enjoy um, this uh, feud be- between Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem right now because. Uh, while I'm not necessarily like all up on hip hop, I do think it shows um, the progress that's that's taken place um, in our culture that we can have. Uh, is it a 45 year old white rapper 
feuding with a 28-year-old white rapper, and it's being taken seriously. It's not just being dismissed as, uh, you know, fake or... Vanilla you know, Ice-ish? Yeah, Vanilla ice Do you know, has this feud um, sort of, has it evolved beyond the original statements about, about the, the looks of Eminem's daughter? Um, I actually, interesting you mentioned that, on YouTube last night watched a video where uh, Eminem explained there was more to the mm-hmm. original diss um, that had come up. I can't remember all the details, but uh, I also like, there's something too, um, I always thought like when I was younger, like, oh, no one, you get old and no one, you're, you know, you're just old. And uh, the fact that I'm only 40 and there's a 45-year-old rapper still relevant gives me hope that... Uh, Maybe we're not going to expire as soon as we uh, as soon as we think. And I like that. Like now we can be like, oh yeah, you know, this new hip hop, this mumble rap. You know, back in my day, it was about lyrical content. You know, and and so I, there's a certain amount of. Uh, I feel like um, usually if I'm like complaining about this generation or that generation, it seems like a tired grandpa thing to do. But it seems like if you take it into the hip hop realm. It's not like a grandpa-ish thing to say. Like, it's, you know, somewhat cool. You know what's so. funny about that? There was actually just a comedian. I, I don't remember who I'm stealing this from, but uh, he was talking about hip-hop growing up, and he's, and he's like, you know, you know the, I don't think any of these rappers really intended to be middle-aged and dads <laughs> and married and things. He goes, he goes, you know, think about Jay-Z. 15 years ago, he was, he was talking about spending G's, and, you know, now he's talking about investing G's. And, like, <laughs> like you know, you listen to his raps now, and, it's, and it's, it's all about, like, you know, do you have a well-balanced portfolio? You know, this is how you, you know, it's how you, you got to keep wealth, you know, steady, mm-hmm. steady uh, asset management. What's the uh, run, DM- run DMC guy that uh, became a preacher? Oh, uh, Reverend Run. Run, yeah. yeah. So he's got a show, like a corny 1980s sitcom on some like Disney channel or one of those channels. And my girls have been binge watching where he's the old father on the show. And I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> he's also got a show on the cooking channel called Rev Run Sunday Suppers. There you go. So, he's, so, got, he's got all kinds of stuff. So he and his wife, he had a show on the travel channel too where they did some stuff. But yeah, so now he's hanging out at home with the wife and kids, you know, sort of like... Uh, Sort of, sort of like a hip hop Osborne family, and you know they're dysfunctional, but at the at, at the core, they they love each other and like to eat Sunday dinner together. Oh, that's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my guilty pleasure. Uh, you mentioned Eminem, famous uh, Michigan Detroit rapper. I'm gonna keep it Michigan Detroit style, and it's not even a guilty pleasure. I'm not really ashamed of it, but I think most people think I should be, and I'm gonna go with Kid Rock. Yeah, you know, I, I like me some Kid that, Rock. That was that's actually good. Like you're like. I don't like him because I'm better than that, yeah. but um, if I'm alone, I'll probably turn up a lot of his songs. And a lot of the themes are things that resonate with up me. Up north, so yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you know, it's very, it's very interesting because um, Kid Rock is sort of a, yeah, it's not cool to like Kid Rock, but he's done a lot of really neat things. So, uh, for instance, um, uh, he's gone around the, uh, the, the Ticketmaster uh, Clear yeah. Channel uh, sort of uh, hegemonic hold on concert tickets and he says no 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 my tickets are only going to cost $20 yeah. and so because he's like who who are the people that like Kid Rock <laughs> the people that like crushing PBRs in the in the uh, in, in the parking lot you know and my uh, people yeah and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll save it um, anyway but he uh, but that and he's actually he's one of these guys too that's um he lives in Nashville now. He's got a little modular trailer on a piece of land overlooking the city. I, I know. I know what you're thinking. What could be more Kid Rock than, than yeah. having 
$100 million and literally living in a camo trailer. Mm-hmm. But he says, it's like, it's got everything I need. He's like, I'm, I'm saving the money. He says, you know what? He said, I'll live in the trailer. You know what you really need when you're at a certain level of success? He said, private jet. And I've heard that from several people, guys that fly and uh-huh. tour. He's like, you know, you don't need to own it. Just a little timeshare, anything to get you out of the airport. He's like, I will, I will live in a, in a trailer huh. and, and have the... Uh, yeah, Kid Rock's awesome. You know nice. what, though, too? He's gone into, like, live music sampling. So, you know, in hip-hop, you sample other people's, you know, you digitally grab it, and you, and you use it as a basis for your song. You take a riff from another song. Um, he's gone into doing that and recreating songs. So, um, uh, you know, huh. uh, uh, was his song Summertime, you know? Yeah. Uh, literally is Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, had, he had another one that's, that's like that, except he sampled uh, Werewolves of London, but, like, live with the band, you know? So he's huh. like taking these old classic, you know, yeah. Seeger songs and, and other. And he's crossing genres. He uh, is. He's country. He's rock. He's hip hop. That's right. Um, we we've been talking Detroit. You know who I actually don't like is Bob Seeger. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say that too. Like, and then he's always associated with Detroit. But it's like a fictional. If you listen to his songs, maybe back like way back in the day, it was a Detroit. But I guarantee it's not Detroit. Maybe like, part of it know. was that like on the classic rock stations around Detroit. Every other song was a Bob Seger yeah. song. They were very proud of their. And he's definitely singing of like pre-riots Detroit. And not... he's, he's fine, but I just I don't I don't get the. I'm not a huge fan. So this is this you know is who a... else? Mm. Michigan, not necessarily Detroit, Aretha but Franklin? Royal Oak and Bay City, Madonna. Oh, but does uh, Michigan really own on her? her? No, that's what I'm saying. Is I don't feel well. She's not been positive on Michigan, and I feel like insane clown posse too. Yeah, I I saw them in concert. Did you really? No, no you should Way be embarrassed by that. It, they were in concert with a, there was like a bunch of groups, and they were one of them that that was there. So the the Fago, yeah, the Fago and all that. Cola yeah, and the, uh, you hang out with the Juggalos, going chicken hunting. We are going. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah. I loop loop. I am, don't go listen to insane no, do listeners. I, it's not don't. Right. That was I was that was before I was Lutheran, so my my sins only counted for half a point. <laughs> that that's funny because I had a friend. I mean, this is I, yeah. I had a friend uh, in in middle school whose older sister was obsessed with 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 ICP, and so every time I would go to her house, this would be a this would be a thing. That's so funny. I had I was like 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 Ezekiel gets pulled by the hair back right in a vision yeah. pulled back. You said who's going chicken hunting, and I was just like I was transported to a to a uh, yeah. to a cigarette smoke filled house. That was house an interesting time in the Detroit area because <laughs> if you were going through high school then, uh, that was Kid Rock, ICP, mm-hmm. even Eminem. These these were all like high school. These were shows people could go see, and Kid Rock could be down by the Fox Theater and that, or State Theater, and it uh, it was interesting the dynamics, you know. And now probably all those people were viewed as being similar at the time and now mm-hmm. uh icp is definitely icp and kid rock is definitely what there's, kid rock there's is only one that the fbi sort of considered a, a gang. <laughs> that's right that. i saw a t-shirt in redwood falls minnesota so if you're not familiar with that town of i don't know six thousand maybe a little bit more in the middle of nowhere and there is this girl with an icp t-shirt on just about like five six seven years ago so anyway what's your guilty pleasure what's my guilty pleasure okay well i've got i've got two one is sort of musicians insider baseball and the other one is is not um so we'll 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 see but we'll go with the one that's not um so i have sirius xm radio in my in my car and i just uh, re-upped for that we got that when i got i got a used truck but it yeah it came with it and so they have the deal to re-up for a bit it is nice having yeah man okay so so anyway in summer they have this yacht rock station yeah 
It's yeah. all the like the seventies, uh, early eighties, uh, soft rock and yeah. pop. And I'm telling you, it is very yachtish. That is that, and and they play up the cheese on that station because they 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 have the 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 uh, the, the guys who does the ad read sounds like Thurston Howell, you know. Yeah. You know, don't rock the boat too hard. You know, <laughs> yacht rock radio. Yeah. Um, I love that. You got you got like player. You know, baby, come back. Do whatever do. You can. You know, it's like all that stuff. And but what's cool about it is it's pretty. It's pretty cheese tastic. But if you listen carefully, if you take a second and you re-listen to it, all those tunes are done by uh, serious session musicians, like serious musicians. And so it might be in the service of rank bubblegum. But if you get down <laughs> into the parts and you listen, like there are some serious horn backgrounds happening, or that groove, that drum groove is really happening because you've got these monster musicians who are probably bored, right? Making union scale, 125 bucks for the session or whatever. But they're gonna they're gonna do something interesting with it. And so if you can kind of dig a little bit deeper, there's really plus plus. I think they play. Um, um, they play uh, Africa by Toto every hour on the hour, and I'm, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> Definitely, dude. You appreciate you know, the, Weezer's uh, Weezer's new version of it? Of well, yeah, but I also really enjoyed um, uh, the uh, the rebuttal, which was um, Toto's version of Weezer's, Weezer's Hashpipe, which was a hmm. which was a, which was a really cool. That would be a band that if we ever do the free for all we were talking about before, Weezer would be a band that would. Uh, yes, I, I'll have to say that. And their most underrated, but I think best album, Pinkerton. That well, it's um, it's about an opera. It's about Madame Butterfly. I mean, yeah. come on now, it's it's pretty heady, right? I'm getting us distracted. I was about to start talking about my favorite. My favorite serious station is Lithium. That yes. actually, that's I, that, I'm on that one all the time yeah. too. I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but um, music tastes and Kiwaskum, where I grew up, were not necessarily forward thinking. So, <laughs> um, so absolutely, I'm I'm a big I'm a big Lithium fan, and when I feel like yeah. I got to kick it back a little bit, a little bit, I like Ozzy's Boneyard. Yeah. A lot of ACDC yeah. on there. No, I enjoy Sirius. It, now I, I have a feeling I'm not going to be allowed to have it once the six months comes up because then it'll be full price. Yeah, that's 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 tough. I will say this: my other guilty pleasure is, and um, this is sort of the insider baseball here. Um, is uh, I actually really enjoy um, Sammy Hagar era Van Halen, and I don't I don't know that I know a Van Halen song. That's one of the things I've always felt bad about is Van Halen is like iconic, important, but I, and I know I would know their songs, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I could name a song that I'm sure is Van Halen. Jump, jump. See, I thought that was Journey. Nope, no nope, jump. That's jump. I lump a lot of like white people music into Journey for some reason. <laughs> Journey and Bon Jovi. If I'm not sure what it is, yeah. but it's it is well, like bon a Jovi wow wow a or distinct. jump. I tend to think it's Bon Jovi or Journey. That's really funny. Um, but no, I really like the I, the Van Hagar era, as it sometimes uh, calls. So the albums uh, fifty one fifty through Balance. Um, huh. Owned own them all. Um, one uh, one guilty pleasure in my in the Van Halen catalog that nobody likes except for me is uh, the one album they get they did with uh, uh, Gary Sharon. Gary was the lead singer in the band Extreme. So more than words, you know, mm-hmm. say okay, that yeah. I love you, right? That's him. They got him from one album. They called it Van Halen 3. They got a song placed on the Lethal Weapon 4 soundtrack. And I kind of liked the album, but nobody else liked it. And then in fairness, though, Van Halen's this big stadium rock act, right? We're talking uh-huh. David Lee Roth, toe touches off of the off the, drum, off the drum riser, you know, just epic lights and sound. Sammy Hagar also had that very cool factor uh, and, and the big rock voice. I went and saw them. The first concert I saw actually uh, was uh, Van Halen on that three tour with Gary Sharon with my dad. I was in eighth grade. And we went and we, we saw it at Alpine Valley. 
and I, I knew instinctively that he didn't fit because instead of jumping and doing toe touches off the um, off the off the drum riser, he sort of writhed on the floor in a very <laughs> lithium sort of way, in a very <laughs> very '90s alt rock yeah. sort of way. And I thought, no, this is no good. You know that extreme song? Which one you were talking about? More than uh, words. Yeah, more than words. Uh, the best version that I've ever seen of that is Jack Black and Jimmy Fallon. Yes, <laughs> yes. That that's a that's worth a uh, going, uh, YouTube search. Yeah, and going because they do the they redo the video shot for shot as well. Oh, do the they? Actual, oh. That's part of the gag is that they redo the original yeah, black that's and white right. video that's right. You're right. with Gary Sharon and Nuno Betancourt, the guitar player from Extreme. But they do it, yeah, frame for frame. That's awesome. And that's something we can encourage. So don't go look up and sing Clown Posse. No, don't do, don't it. do but, that. But do check up Jimmy Fallon and uh, um, who? Jack Black. Who's Jack Black. That. So you know Ben's gonna look up ICP now. I, he, I'm sure he already knows who I. Ben's not gonna just look it up. Ben's gonna give me grief about it. I'll get a Telegram message. You know ICP, whatever. It's it's not good stuff. Let's just put it there that way. And it's self consciously not good stuff. So yeah, I mean that's the that's the shtick of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it. I mean, I think. Well, I suppose Kiss defies that. Like, Kiss is somewhat taken seriously, and they wear makeup. But well, yeah, but the the the. the, the so funny story about Kiss, right? They they shouldn't be uh, they shouldn't be terribly controversial anymore. But well, I suppose it's twenty years ago. So my dad had my dad had a small vinyl collection, but one of the things that he did have was um, he had the the album Kiss Alive, okay, and he had all the original packaging for it. So it's this live album. It was the album that really broke them out out of Detroit and out of the Rust Belt, and um, and. Inside the album, and inside the album, each band member wrote a letter to the fans as the character. So, like Gene Simmons was the demon, and 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 Paul Stanley was the the love child, and you know Ace Frehley was the spaceman, and then Peter Chris the Catman. You know. Anyway, uh, I was just starting to play guitar when I saw that when I saw that, and and so I I got really into. I went through a really big kiss and phase, and and you know like makeup and everything. Um, in eighth grade, I did I did go uh, painted as Gene Simmons for trick or treating. <laughs> um, but uh, so I started I started in very like '90s fashion to write their logo. I would trace it on my notebooks for school, and in seventh grade in days. seventh grade. Um, I, I, I had I had kiss on my on my English notebook and I handed it in to get corrected. It came back and the teacher had crossed it out and said, "Don't you put that logo on here? Don't you know that stands for Knights and Satan Service?" And I thought, "I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but you know." So there you go. Does it really stand? No, for it that? doesn't. No, it's okay. no it stands. I thought for that was one of those things that yeah it was rumored, but you never know. Right, so. but you but you never but you never know, right? Uh, so but so so even then even then right, um, they had just gotten back together. Uh, at that point, we're back in the makeup because they've been out of the makeup for like 15 years, you know. And they kind of bombed out of the makeup, right? They, they decided to go back. It just wasn't. No, well, okay. So I, I, I don't know if you really want to know. I mean, I could tell you. So here, so actually, they had a lot of pop metal hits in the 80s, um, with various incarnations of the band. My favorite, though, my favorite non-makeup album is uh, speaking of guilty pleasures, is probably the album Creatures of the Night, uh, featuring Vinnie Vincent on guitar. Very, very good. Uh, they did fine, but they weren't a phenomenon uh. like they were. And so, right, Gene Simmons' marketing genius decided in the mid-'90s that was their, their time to get everyone back together, put the makeup on, and then... And they're just reuniting now, I think, again, too. So they're on... I think I just saw a news story. Well, they're going back out on tour, um, but it's the only original members are, at this point, again, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. So Peter Chris hasn't been the drummer for quite a while. He's being filled in for by a guy named Eric Carr, who wears the makeup. Eric's been with Kiss on and off for 25 years. And then um, I forget who's doing the, the part of Ace, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's acting. Paul uh. Stanley, who's been one of the, you know, the founder of Kiss, his voice is not in the shape it used to be 70 years old. 
and um, and his voice is not what it used to be. And so he's he's floated the idea that Kiss may continue without him because it's bigger nice. than any member and, of the band. You know, it's it's like either these guys, especially from the sixties, especially the seventies, like either they died young, or they're like living this lifestyle and they're like eighty. Do you know what I just caught last night on on Access TV or whatever? They had they had filmed this like this music television channel. They um they had filmed the Rolling Stones the last show of their night 2016 tour and they happened to do it in Havana. But I was watching and I was I was a little blown away by two things. One, Charlie Watt the drummer and Mick Jagger still have it. They are incredible moving on stage Mick can still sing he can still perform he's got it like I would pay to see him the other thing is that Keith Richards does not care (laughs) he's he's there he's alive his guitar is cranked up in the mix and whether he plays a note or the right note is irrelevant because he's he's Keith Richards the uh well I I like that the free-for-all basically in the end brought us uh back to Detroit as an a uh epicenter of guilty pleasures for music with Kiss, um, Detroit Rot City. So maybe that uh, can be Detroit's shtick is um, they produce music we that is a guilty pleasure. We haven't even talked about Ted Nugent. So there That's you go. Yeah, as, a, as a musical phenomenon, I'm not touching the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, Detroit's kind of like this classic Motown suite and then the extreme of this <laughs> white punk <laughs> rap mixture yeah. of something country, whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's something. We'll have to do one on Milwaukee. We have the Violent Fathoms. And the Guffs. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, I got us talking too much, but we will uh, make our way then to the main topic. for our main topic and we're going to kind of let uh, Dr. Zuma kind of go where he ever wants to go with this and even off air just a little bit we we started talking about some things where we could talk about the philosophy of music philosophies of music whatever whatever you want to however you want to describe it what what is its worth to our culture what can it do what can't cannot what it cannot do and and we even kind of uh touched all the way back to Plato and Aristotle there. We were all over the place in about a three-minute conversation. So, uh, Doctor, why don't you take it from there and tell me what you mean by a philosophy of music? Well, sure. Um, I think what we, what we mean by it is, is, is in part, like, how should we regard music? What, 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 where is its place in society? And, and, and how do we use it? What, what do we use it for? Um, uh, how should we encounter it? Uh, I think uh, what, what brought this up in my mind, what's got this kind of on my mind right now is I'm teaching um, our music majors the first semester of, of our three-semester music history sequence, which starts with uh, music in ancient Greece and runs all the way through basically the end of the Counter-Reformation. So um, if you think like Palestrina. Um, but where we start is with Plato and Aristotle, and wouldn't you know, they have lots to say about music. And Plato thinks that music is a really powerful thing. In fact, it needs to be, for him, there's something irrational and, and almost like objectively powerful. In other words, what I mean by that, I guess, without having Peter here to tell me 
how to talk in philosophical categories correctly, um, that, um, that music can have a physical reaction. It can change your mental constitution and make you do things physically. And for that reason, uh, Plato would say music needs to be uh, very tightly controlled um, lest, it, lest it lead to uh, anarchy. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. And this is something that gets picked up again um, seriously in the Baroque. So uh, for orienting ourselves in the Baroque, think uh, between 1600 and 1750 or so. So yeah, J.S. Bach comes in at the end of that. Um, but uh, the idea that, that they, they theorized a philosophy of music at that time as well, that, that said, well, if you want to get a reaction out of your audience, you play this chord or in this key or this kind of melody will elicit, you know, uh, that kind of a reaction out of your audience member, kind of regardless of whether they want it to or not. Um, and we still think music is powerful, you know, today. We, we, uh, we, we sort of know it is, you know, it's, it's easier to, uh, to uh, remember words if they're, if they're put to a melody or, or, or to, a catchy, to a catchy beat. And in the, in the 1980s, even, we litigated through uh, pop music, specifically hard rock and, and rap music, you know, could these... Uh, hard rock songs by you know, like Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, things like that. Could they cause kids to commit acts of violence? Right? Is it the? Is there something intrinsic in the in the music itself that 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 causes violence? And so, of course, if we throw that that idea is as old as Plato. Um, so, the notion here, if we if we get into uh, uh, Plato, is that music needs to be controlled because uh, it's it, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Um, of course. Uh, Aristotle is going to uh, modify that position somewhat and, and, um, and allow for music uh, to be enjoyed, but not too much. So Aristotle says, and I think this is fascinating because there are a lot of parents of college age kids. This is my one sort of, this is my one sort of hobby horse that I'm going to step on and off real quick that, that look at it this way too. Aristotle would say, Everybody should study music. To be a well-rounded human is to learn to uh, maybe play an instrument a little bit, to be able to uh, uh, recognize and analyze the various types and genres of, of musical style. But then he would say, but you don't want to study it too much. You don't want to be, and his rationale is actually really fascinating. Um, you don't want to study playing the flute, for instance, uh, to the point where you're like, like the people who compete in flute competitions. Because, and by the way, musical competitions were part of the Olympics, so, and things like that. So, so you don't want to be like one of those people because then you are no longer a free man. You are a slave to your, to your instrument, and, and the study of music ought to be the cultivation of a free mind. And so if you, if you actually um, uh, submit yourself to, the, to becoming virtuosic singer or virtuosic instrumentalist, you are no longer actually a free man. You are basically, basically a glorified, uh, trained monkey. And, um, and, and it's so funny that we, we hear parents a lot of times, they, they want their kids to have piano lessons, right? Uh, they want them to have voice lessons, learn to play guitar. And then, lo and behold, um, their students say, well, mom, I, I'm really pretty good at this. I think I might like to study it and maybe I want to be a musician. Mom says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Or maybe dad says, whoa, no, no, no. Um, why don't you go do something that will actually pay your bills, right? So we encourage it and then we take it away. And, and Aristotle basically... Like I mean, drug dealing. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and Aristotle basically says the same thing. Music education is good, but don't don't take it too seriously or too far because you might end up a musician, and that's bad. Yeah, I think that hurts the church in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. Is we just don't have 
than really trained musicians. We talked about this in the uh, an episode of, of church history where the talent from the church, especially in music, for a while kind of went away, and um, it's hard to bring that back. Um, th- that's I had somebody come in and wants to be a church musician, and you know I'm like, hey, I hope you get a job. Yeah. But I'm like, you should do this because if you do get this job, you don't know how powerful that can be for that congregation and what a wonderful thing you're going to do and what a wonderful life you're going to have. So I hope you hope you try and keep going. Well, I would say this and, I, you know, and, and just every church should have a cantor. Yes. Before before you pay for a full time secretary for the pastor because he doesn't have his act together or <laughs> whatever. I'm serious. Get a cantor and and teach the children music and the people of the community music, and uh, you're gonna do you you could really reach out that way, but also make uh, worship pretty robust and whatever whatever kind of style you're gonna do. Right, and in my in my congregation, uh, just to riff on that, we are very blessed uh, to have to have someone who is who is trained and uh, has a good has a good ear and eye for um, not only music but for theology as well. So. So no matter what we do, we know it's going to be sound, you know, and and the the quality of of worship. I you know, and I lead worship one night a week too. Is in in a lot of ways it it's 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 it is it is it is very high, you know. Um, and so that's that's a, that's an important thing. And it is it is hard to get it back once you've once you've lost it. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a hard thing to to inculcate that it's an important thing. You know, even on the level of congregational singing. Um, I've always, I've always been, I've always been struck by, um, uh, if you, if you, if you go to, uh, uh, I don't know how to put this. This goes on, on. All right, Wade, maybe you can, you can chime in on this. Anytime I've ever gone to, I've had occasion to go to a Catholic service. They usually do have a person like leading the singing, but then nobody usually else sings. Usually a lady, yeah. Yeah. And nobody else she sings. She does this. Yeah. Right. When it's time to sing the refrain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much like the GIA type responsive singing, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've always found that to be sort of interesting too. Of course, you can that you can fall. The the other side of that too is um, is uh, and this is not a comment here or there on on you know contemporary worship or whatever you want to call it. Um, but sometimes those melodies are tricky to sing in a pop style. There's a lot of syncopation and there's a lot of the range is maybe bigger yeah. than than untrained singers are used to. And so if you're not careful with those melodies too. That that kind of kills the congregational singing, and the less they think they can sing, the less they will sing, and then the less edifying worship is. Yeah, we're going through right now in my worship class a history of of worship in a very brief time. Mike, you don't teach do a, wor- a worship class? Yeah, and uh, so the way I look at the medieval mass is at the center there was this word and meal, um, but it's kind of like a um, a ball of aluminum foil. The more you put on there, which it not necessarily always wrong, like the chants and the and and the fact of the beautiful art and the cathedrals and all this kind of stuff. It was not most of it wasn't necessarily wrong in it itself, but this ball got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the people got farther and farther and farther away from actually the word and sacrament and participating. And part of the Reformation was to uh, scale that down with re- keeping the beauty and stuff like that. And then we kind of remarked, and it was a student that brought it up. That sometimes in the in the worship of some churches where it becomes more kind of a stage feel um, um, and very, as you said, a little bit more complicated contemporary songs, we're kind of going in backwards a little bit where the people now are 
instead of way back in this long cathedral, they're sitting back in their chairs and they can't participate because they can't sing the Gregorian chant in, you know, 1400, but they can't really participate often in there. And so I wonder if, if, if we're going a little bit in the wrong direction there. Uh, I, I w- the short answer is probably is probably yes. I mean, and we've we've remarked also too that some of the, the um, say some of the, like the Baroque uh, era melodies that we find in, in in our hymnal and other Lutheran hymnals or other other liturgical uh, sources, some of them can be tough to sing sure. too. So yeah. okay, so I mean, it's it's just we'll acknowledge on all sides that um, uh, that chances are we don't take what what the average untrained singer can do. Uh, in, into account, and, and that, that hurts the church. And actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the ball of foil uh, analogy. This takes me right back to where I was kind of thinking about the, the mass, and we're going through this in music history right now. The, uh, we're, we, we just introduced polyphony, which is, which is, you know, so if you have Gregorian chant, which is just one melody, we call that monophony or monophonic. Um, if, once we start adding multiple melodies at the same time, we call that polyphony. And um, I forget, I think it's Plato, who said that um, he, he was he was so worried that that um, that once people start writing things down, right, memory will be lost. Yeah, he worries a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like he was more freaked out, I think, about the book than we are about the internet. It's, so it always seemed like, and he's got a he's got a little bit of truth to that. Once you write it down, you're not gonna memorize it. You're so, not gonna, yeah, but so here's here's where he's right. This happens in music, and actually, um, so let me walk you through this in in the church. So what we have are uh, in the early Christian church a, a variety of of monophonic chants, okay, and and hymns um, and melodies, and then what happens is um, uh, Pope Gregory the Great, um, in in alliance with Charlemagne, uh, decides that um, all of these different regional styles should probably be suppressed because if we have one universal church and we have one Holy Roman Empire, we should have one Mass and and we should have one way of uh, of singing so here's the rub um there's no written music so there's no notation now we had knowledge at that time uh through boethius who's this this um uh late antiquity era um music theorist who knew greek so he was able to consult the greek sources and knew how the greeks organized music and they did have a way of writing it down and and sort of accounting for it but it's it's so it's so arcane that 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 it it really wasn't particularly useful anyway so we have no way of writing down music so what the pope does is he sends out emissaries two by two basically to all these different cathedrals and they teach by rote all of these chants now by the year 1000 by the year 1000, we have over 3,000 3, individual Gregorian chant melodies, and you have mm. to start organizing them somehow. So we start organizing them by year, by text, by, um, by starting and ending note, all sorts of ways to organize them. Um, and uh, we call these antiphoners and things like that. But um, point is, the, the point of it is, music notation actually uh, develops as, as, a, as a memory aid to help monks uh, navigate all of the, the various chants. And so the earliest notation, you don't even see, like you, if you looked at it today, it would just look, look like scribbles because you have to know how to sing it sort of to understand, you know, it just kind of tells you go up here, go down here, and you, not by how much doesn't tell you. Um, here's where the big shift changes. Here's where the, here's where the, the, the layers start to get added to the tinfoil hardcore. Um, once, there's this guy named Guido, okay, Guido de Arezzo. 
He's the guy who invents Solfege, Doe, a deer, a female deer, oh, nice. Ray, a drop of golden sun. Okay, he invents Solfege as a way of teaching monks, again, as a way of teaching monks, and he, and he finds a visual way to put it on his hand so you could just point to your hand and all the notes of the gamut guys runs the gamut <laughs> that's that's a, that's an interesting that's a that's an elision of the the lowest note in in like the medieval scale was a g and they called it uh and the, and the syllable they gave to it was ut and that was gamma ut hmm. and so to sing the gamut was to run the entirety of the medieval scale you should have named it after the guido instead of the gamut uh, yeah I, yeah Run the Guido. Yeah. <laughs> Runs the whole the whole range of the Guido. Yeah. Um, he, uh, but anyway, uh, Guido also invented the musical staff. So the four, four or five lines, back then it was four lines, now the five lines, four spaces that we write stuff on. Okay. Once you get that, once you, once you get that going on, now we can precisely notate melodies, and pretty soon they figure out how to precisely notate rhythms. And then the entire shift of, of notation as mnemonic device for something that is an oral and memorized... Um, uh, practice gets turned on its head and now I can compose music right I can start to organize it in ways that are completely divorced from from this received oral tradition which means that the next next thing I'm going to do is start to play games with it and Kid Rock yeah <laughs> I'm just and then we come to Kid Rock and <laughs> ICP <laughs> <laughs> right um, so but that but but that's the point you were talking about the layers of tinfoil very quickly uh, you know people you know Smart people, musicians in the church, wanting to edify, uh, wanting to make feast days more more awesome, wanting to make Christmas more elaborate. Right? They start they start to write all these different chant variations and 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 complicated rhythms. And before you know it, we just went through it. Uh, you get the invention of the um, the polyphonic, but also polytextual, polylingual motet already in, in Notre Dame by like twelve hundred. Now, who's this serving? So you'd have a you'd have a little bit of a chant melody at the bottom, an original chant, maybe like maybe like a word that gets pulled out of the chant and then stretched out. Think of it like a bass line, and we maybe mm. have one word of the original chant. Then you'll put a Latin, uh, newly composed melody on top of it with a metrical Latin verse that's going to comment on the original word from the chant. And then, so this is like Kid Rock with a uh, summer the summer song that's really Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see? And then, if you write a third voice, you might put that in French and make it some sort of... Um, you lost me now. <laughs> some, sort of, um, some sort of poem that, at the surface, would have nothing to do with the chant or the metric Latin poem. You'd be like, what is this about? Except, of course, you guys as theologians know, how do we interpret the Bible in the medieval period? Allegorically. Uh -huh. And so we run, through this, we run through this poem, and we can interpret it allegorically, and it becomes a giant mind game for the, the monks and priests that are hanging out you know, next to adjacent to the cathedral, they didn't have any YouTube to look up animal fights. Yeah. You know, PlayStation. They they had to you know play these games. But when that comes into the liturgy, eventually, who's it who's it serving anymore? Right? Like the the uh, the, the parishioners um, can't read or write to begin with, and so Latin's lost on them to begin with, probably in many cases. But then certainly the rest of it, you know, the connection of of, of this poetry. That by the way, you can't understand um, because the words are all happening at the same time. Huh. Right. Uh, yeah, and so then the next step, you know, in the history eventually is going to be the Reformation where the power of music to pull people into and participate in the service um, and then also um, in a propaganda way and yep. a teaching way, um, that, that's got to be a huge shift. So as you as a music historian and what you took in secular colleges and stuff like that, I mean, what does it take of musician 
musical uh, historians on the Reformation, do they kind of understand that or they'd go in a different direction? No, they absolutely understand that that that, that music is um, uh, central to the to the the theological program of you know of, of what we're doing. Um, it, it's it, it's sort it's it's sort of it's sort of fascinating. Now, I um, one so Richard Truscan's a really famous. I'm going to get a little bit past the Reformation, but still the same idea. Really famous uh, music historian, and and um, he has a he has an interesting take on Bach cantatas. So. Bach lives this um, cloistered sort of life, for the most part, in Leipzig, right, his adult life. He doesn't get out much, um, uh, not terribly exposed to other musical styles. Like, you would say, well, Bach never wrote operas, right? Wrong. He wrote cantatas, okay? And a cantata has all of the hallmarks of an opera, including all of the drama in the music. Hmm. And so, Taruskin argues, I think correctly, at first I was a bit scandalized by it, but then I just had to sort of like, you know... I mean, actually think about it, um, that, that, that Bach is painting through his use of harmony and dissonance and melody and things like that when he sets a passion or when he sets a cantata. He is absolutely trying to get at the emotions in the same way you would in the secular theater, the way you would, you would try the same musical materials that you would use to, to get across pathos or, or rage. Um, those, those same things are happening um, in, in, the, in the religious service. And we know, I mean, I, mean, I think... Uh, you know, in, in Luther's day, um, the idea that you could that, that you could um, put theology in song and make it um, make it memorable, right? Because you can memorize things much more easily in song mm-hmm. or with a with a beat pattern than you can than you can without it. Every yeah, time, I mean, this plays into the Luther's emphasis on catechetical hymns. You know, early yes. on, yeah, yeah. I mean, every time I, it's a little embarrassing talking about guilty pleasures. Every time I have to think of um, uh, the, I think it's Matthew, the 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 verse uh, in Matthew uh, six, right? See, uh, seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. Okay. Seek ye first the kingdom of I God. I grew up with that all the time. And His yeah. righteousness, right? That's how I remember that. Right. I mean, it's just a, a, a yeah. silly example, a throwaway example, but obviously you can communicate much more deep truths in that. And a long history in the Christian church and uh, and people against the Christian church using little ditties uh, to promote their agenda. And I was it it was a later a Jesuit said that uh, Luther's hymns, I can't get the verb right, but, you know, uh, uh, destroyed more souls than all of his sermons yeah, that and his writings theology combined. Theology could have been easily uprooted if it weren't for the hymns. And right. e- um, even Arius, you yep, know, way earlier, um, with his Christological heresy, um, part of the way that spread was with song. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the power of song, um, you know, and so Luther will say music is second only to theology. But I think it, it goes back to Aristotle as well of the balance in it, and not necessarily vocationally, yeah. um, but recognizing um, the power of song can be used. In many ways, you know, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and we see this, and we see this all, right. So what's really fascinating to me is that, is that nobody, nobody believes that, oh gosh, it's, it's hard to put this into, uh, into words, but we, I think societally, even today, we still believe that music has power to move you, like to suggest to you and to get you to feel things that you otherwise might not to amplify, right? Um, and so, and so this is something, by the way, that we always have to be on guard for in the church as well. Um, you know, even though we're scientific, rationalistic people, you know, we say, ah, oh, music, ah, you know, it, no, 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 that's, that's some sort of medieval thinking. It's not. Um, we have to be on guard for, of course, Augustine 
talks about it that way. I mean, in the confessions, right? Anna De Musica uh, yeah. is writing on music, right? That that he loves music, but then he starts to enjoy it too much, and then yeah. he feels like it, it's it's making. It, then then he has to not listen to it because it's taken away from from God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think um, when, when we're in a worship setting today, right? We Lutherans, okay. I think this is part of the reason that we like some of these old hymn tunes that um, can be difficult to sing, because as Lutherans we are. We are, and I think rightly for the most part, very suspect of emotions mm-hmm. in our in our theology and in our worship, right? Because because you know emotions have got people into quite a lot of trouble, you know, yeah. the- theologically. Um, so we almost like wear it as a point of pride that 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 our worship and and our music can be difficult. But listen to these words, right? It's sort yeah. of like it's sort of like we celebrate, sort of like we celebrate um, shredded wheat, not the frosted nor the mini kind the the big ones that you you know you can only yeah. have two of and, and they're really hard to choke down um uh but on the other on the other side of it right a lot of protestant worship is openly manipulative right. whether whether or not you whether In, or not intentionally yeah yeah, inten- yeah. Like, i mean i mean you can go to seminars on on how to on how and and of course that that i mean practice theology right i mean they're, they're, they're so closely tied. And I'm not talking about whether you have an electric guitar in church or not. That's, that's You know who I always think would have been relevant. good at uh, leading a praise band? Huh. Garibals. Yes. <laughs> I'm not so sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you are. But, uh, yes. I mean, and I I'm not equating Nazism no. with praise band. But, but there is... Walk um, it back. Walk it back, Wade. With revivalism or with Phineasm yes. and stuff like this, there is a... Con- I mean, um, what Garibals was after for ill intent is not so far from what someone who wants to motivate the proper decision mm-hmm. is from um, with what we could consider well-placed intentions. Yep. Um, so, I, yeah, it, you mentioned, well, look at the words. I would say that um, probably with good intentions, you know, of being textual, that Lutheranism is, you know, we want rich text to our tunes, but I think we've maybe missed something, and you're right to that, of, you know, even Luther um, with chant wanted chant to serve the word, mm-hmm. so we sometimes miss the, the way that, the melody can serve the word, and so maybe it is sometimes when we are holding on to the difficult term um, tunes that can handcuff the text, mm-hmm. because the, the 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 one singing or listening doesn't get to the text because they're stuck in the tune. Um, and I think there's been some awareness more recently of let's put a new tune to some of these. Um, but yeah, how do you balance that? I sometimes joke with my students in class that I'm I'm leery of any hymn that makes me want to sway. And yes. what, I, what I'm getting at is is not that I don't like hymns. I do like hymns that make me want to sway. But, uh, but yeah, to find that balance, and I think, um, you know, we don't want to go to the side of a, an Arminian, meaning a decision theology type mm-hmm. thing of, because that, that's a faith that's set up to fail, right? Because mm-hmm. when the cross comes, it's, it's based on emotions that quickly fade. It's an emotive faith. Not, not emotions that are rooted in the faith, but emotions that are... Um, uh, precede faith um, when you if you're coming in a revivalistic um, yeah. you know way and so I think um, you know there's a good leeriness that we don't want the word lost yeah right. but um, but yeah I would agree that uh, now, so I'm not saying I'm not equating it. Nazism no, with no. anything I'm but just saying Goebbels understood you can move people with pomp and music and ceremony 
um, to yeah. just about anything. Well, right, and, and and you know, I don't know that we should wear it as, like I said, as a point of pride that our hymns sometimes sometimes are really hard to sing because, of course, the, who recedes in that? The the congregation recedes, right? And I and I have to believe that Luther is wanting to reengage the congregation through singing and and other means has to do with something like you know with the theology of of you know the priesthood of all believers, right? That you can that that you know everybody is 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 here and is and should be able to serve and and, and worship and and praise God. It doesn't belong to specialists because the other thing that happens of course you had mentioned this in the mass is as it gets more layers more tinfoil on the ball right now even even your average clergy member right. cannot cannot participate in the songs of the church in the chants of the church and so you have to hire you have to hire professional singers to do that yeah. and so now even the clergy itself is becoming less literate in its own in its own tradition and i think we see that same danger with theology when theology becomes the province of a select few mm-hmm. you know theology loses out this just reminds me uh, at some point down the road that i should do my uh nazi rally bit i got a bit i do when i teach about the holocaust that um you know I, i'm not going to do it now are you but is it going to be it, offensive or uh, maybe mildly, but it, it's like I, offensive it's up in there a good way my, or a bad way. I've done my thing about Nietzsche and Sartre working a suicide hotline, right? Oh, yeah. So I would compare it to that. Okay. <laughs> I'll save it for later, but we'll we'll see if it gets through this. It's about like sense. a couple that goes to a Nazi rally. Okay. So um so I you know you know what's really what's really interesting is is um the the connection of music and 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 decision theology and creating a creating a I, I got to tell a story about myself here this was I was much younger and uh, and certainly uh, uh, I, I went to my local Lutheran church weekly and but but there were some uh, some kids in my class there was a contemporary Christian artist I don't remember who it was um, that was coming through town and wouldn't that be a great sanctified thing for us to do on a Friday night it must have been about eighth grade yeah sure we'll go see you know like they, they were gonna have guitars I play guitar that was gonna be kind of fun so we're there at the at the concert, and it's mostly it's mostly just a con- at first it's just a concert. We're just there to watch a guy you know sing Christian songs. You know it's perfectly edifying, and then all of a sudden, the lights got low, <laughs> everything got hushed, and he started giving a testimonial, and like immediate. And I didn't know. Get remember, I'm 13. I didn't know what was going on, but I was very I was immediately a little uncomfortable, and I didn't know why. Um, anyway. Fast forward this whole thing. Next thing you know, there is a blatant altar call, and if you want, and he said, he said, if you if you decided to make the decision to fo- to invite Jesus into your heart today, follow these people into the other room, and you and we'll talk about about Christianity. And the next thing I knew, I found myself getting up out of my chair and walking into this cafeteria and sitting next to a guy who was who was gonna tell me about. You know, uh, inviting Jesus into my heart, and if, and all of a sudden it was like, and, and all of a sudden we go from the, the 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 soft lights of the of the concert and the very like the atmosphere and the hands were up and I, and and the cold lighting, the 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 neon lighting of the of the cafeteria, and it was like I was shook out of a out of a trance, and I kind of like we're back to speed, and he's talking to me about inviting Jesus into my heart and and becoming a Christian. I said, well, wait, wait, but I already am. Yeah. He he goes, what? I said, no, I no like. This happened a long time ago. Mm. Like, and and then then it was then it was just awkward because then then I was like, what? And, but but as I think about that as as an adult, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, how? Mm. And it was the it was the music. If someone would if someone would have said invite Jesus into your heart today, I'd have been like, well, he's already there, so this is not an issue. Mm-hmm. But like but like accompanied by swaying and 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 like softly strummed acoustic guitars, 
you maybe know, even nice I was, lighting. I was swept. I was swept away. Yeah. I got, that's perfect. another story. When I, my two weeks at Pentecostal camp, have I ever told that story? Maybe not on. I hope air, you're taking notes, or Peter listens and take notes on it, because there's, there's there's good stories in there too. Are you gonna share one? No, I'm gonna save a bunch. Okay. But I did go to Pentecostal camp for two weeks, <laughs> and I uh, fake spoken tongues. Did you really? No. Uh, to test it. Oh, to uh, test it. Yeah. But you weren't trolling. No, they were all pressuring me that I would I would do it if I was a Christian, and then I fi- I wanted to see if they would know if I was just making up or not. So I just was like a bob a bob, you know, uh, but a be. <laughs> and then I threw some prayers in there or whatever, but but that's another day. <laughs> um, there was music there too. Okay, yeah, and you know it, it makes sense that if that's your theology, that's how you do worship, and it would be uh, everything is going to be about that decision. Um, if it's an encounter with God, um, you know, in word and sacrament, or I should say, God encounters you, then the music and wherever you are on like styles and whatever you cannot say, and this has always bothered me. Well, people will just kind of uh, brush off this argument or this whole debate and say, the music doesn't matter. Only the words, you know, well, that is very insulting to musicians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's not reality. Mm-hmm. And if it really wasn't about music, then why, you, why would you change anything at all? Right. You know, it's that, that kind of, uh, pious little looking you down and you guys are arguing about this but this doesn't really matter and say that's not a solution that's not and that's certainly not close to reality at all i mean it's cert and it's not about manipulating emotions whether that's right or wrong it's about um what are you trying to get after when you're doing that i mean uh, we want when we go to a movie we want the score to enhance the story so that we are moved in one way or another yeah we like that we certainly don't like being manipulated in a uh, nefarious way, however, right? And mm-hmm. so um, it, it's really more about the motivation and letting the Holy Spirit have his space for the text. <laughs> and, of course, that the music enhances that rather than the other way around. And you were talking about kind of Protestants and the anxious bench, right, is part of the same thing, a manipulation of that. I was talking about this that. when your Mike had a table set up in front of his class. I didn't. It was just there. But. It was all the seats were facing everyone else instead of, so it was like maybe you could seat two people at this table and you would face everybody else. So I thought maybe he had created an anxious bench. <laughs> um, you know, kind of a note about that whole era, too. It, it's been said that, you know, all of these, these Protestant churches right now are, using the tactics of Hollywood to, you know, do this business like entertainment worship. I don't, I've, I've only read this once and I, I don't know if I can prove it or not, but, uh, the idea was that Hollywood actually sold, uh, stole things from the revivalist preachers. It was the other way around. They knew how to manipulate and they took the tactics from there. I don't know how true, true that is, but what's interesting is the very early radical reformers did not want music, right? I only want to chant, mm-hmm. Only the psalms, because that's the only thing. And any kind of ordination in music, only, you know, certain kind of chants. Uh, everything else would be popish and Roman and fancy. Well, so it's in, it's interesting that that really has changed in mm-hmm. the Protestant world. Just two quick things with that. First, uh, you know, you mentioned, um, well, I think you were getting at, to, to act like music is inherently indifferent or to be indifferent to music is to kind of um, insult music and those who do it professionally because it's to 
misunderstand its power, right? It's not saying music is bad to say, you know, music is capable of a lot of stuff. And I think there's a lot of parallels to theology in that because I think a lot of people can be easily indifferent to theology too. Like, well, that's just you like this, I like that. But to recognize, you know, the power that how a theology can affect you. But um, so I think you were teaching Luther today and I had history of the Reformations and I think we both hit on Marburg Colloquy or at least we were talking about that last night. Um, and I got into a lot today of how Zwingli and Luther's theology of the Lord's Supper played out in everyday life. And it really does get to um, the Lutheran Church's view of art and music and vocation um, that God, you know, Zwingli wanted a more New Testament type church as he thought of the New Testament. So less music, less art, things like this. Um, but it's precisely the uh, the earthiness of Lutheran theology that God uses means to bless us and, and to um, to work on us and, and in us um, that uh, led to the Lutheran Church valuing these things. And so I think, um, as, as you guys have been mentioning, um, the ironic thing about revivalism was that it realized what Lutheranism had realized long ago, which was the power of music. Um, but... Rather than music being sacramental, as Luther saw it in many ways, not a sacrament, but sacramental. Um, and congregational singing even takes on purpose in that because what are we doing? We're now preaching, confessing. God is working on us through what we're singing. Um, it became, uh, you know, um, persuasive, I guess you would say. Um, and maybe that's the fine line in that, that you can have... Um, a melody that could work um, perfectly well sacramentally or persuasively, but you have to ask, what am I using it for? Um, that can also play into that. Um, but that we appreciate um, to confess the power of music and to say, well, we want to be careful. What are we doing with this is not to diminish music or the task at hand, but it's actually to confess what a good gift it is, but how powerful it can be. Yeah. So think, I mean, think about, think about this for a second so a major uh, theme of this podcast is of course freedom right so we are free to use music knowing um not worried about making sure that the lighting is just right that the that the balance between the guitar and the keyboard is just right because we're not concerned that that music um is going to produce a particular effect because we're not in charge of that, yeah. right? That's the Holy no Spirit. No one's salvation is that's, at stake. That's right. The 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 Holy Spirit is going to um, is going to take care of conversion and and the, and those things. So we are free then to just do our very best without without burdening our, you know, to without burdening our consciences, knowing saying that boy, if I don't get this lighting scene exactly correct, or if or if the drum doesn't hit this this fill exactly right now, I'm not going to get the response that is finally going to finally going to allow this person to to make a decision for Christ that they're going to be that they're going to be so moved. We don't we don't have that baggage, which is actually a pretty a pretty cool thing, I think. You know? And that's the same confidence that the preacher now has in the freedom of, of Lutheran theology too is no one's salvation is resting purely on their turn of phrase. They can now try to turn a phrase to the glory of God and for the benefit of their neighbor but they're they're set free to um, to recognize that in the end it's the spirit who's working through that that as well. Yeah, some people are, will complain about that. That well, then how, how are you going to do evangelism? And we can certainly tick off all of these. Okay, this pastor, this pastor, this um, this congregation, this 
part in history, this church in history, where um, they got in the way of the gospel and therefore got in the way of salvation of souls. Okay. However, God's going to get his elect into heaven with or without us. And that doesn't make me lazier, or it shouldn't, but rather through freedom, I actually am free to actually go instead of being tight all the time. And I think you imagine kind of what you were saying about music too, that it's not just that you're freedom, you're free from that burden, but I would imagine you're more relaxed and it turns out that you're, you, uh, you probably perform better musically instead of being tensed up. Like we better, we better get this exactly right to hit the right tones. Otherwise the whole thing's going to be a disaster. There's, there's there's not a lot, not a lot of people out in the, uh, out in the audience today. Right. You know, I mean, obviously what we're doing isn't, isn't selling, the way that it needs to sell, and and it's funny because I I subscribe to um, uh, on 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 the interwebs uh, the uh, the Babylon Bee, yeah, which is a <laughs> Christian satire page, and and they are savage with that mindset among uh, uh, worship leaders, mm-hmm. the the idea that they really do look uh, at their at worship attendance and participation as a, um, a, a the way a promoter might at a, at a concert event, right? The only the only way you have any any surety of the quality of your product or the you know is is to ha- is to fill every every seat and to make sure that they that they kind of follow the script that you have planned in yeah. y- in your mind so i mean it's just fascinating to me though that 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 nobody really debates the power of music when when it comes when it comes down to brass tacks mm-hmm. you know i mean we've even had congressional legislation um about this right yeah do you remember the uh, the pmrc yeah you know the uh, in the nineties, you mean? Or? Yeah, the late eighties. Oh, yeah. Do, do you know what I always have a fun time telling my students about that? I know it's kind of a, a topic change, but it's it's uh, it's it's kind of a fun one. Um, so when we talk about, and I and I, I've noticed that you've you've tried to keep politics out of this for the most part, though I think Wade do, he's been chafing a little bit because he's been <laughs> coming really close lately um, to just letting letting the bird fly yeah, in that way too. At some point. Um, but. But what, what's always funny is when I introduced this, I talk. I said, well, there was a group of congressmen, uh, senators, and senators' wives, uh, conservative senators' wives. And I said, but you have to understand this not in terms of Democrat and Republican. I said, um, back in the 80s, there were these things, uh, the, these things called um, conservative Democrats and liberal Republicans yeah. who's, who's, you know— they, they, they had, you know, you could be socially conservative and be a Democrat, right? And, 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 and socially liberal and be a Republican. That, the, the fiscally it, conservative. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different ball game. So I have to like unpack that for them. But then, but then tell them, you know, you, do you remember, do you, do you know the little parental uh, advisory sticker that you see on CDs and things like that? And they say, yeah. I say, well, you know where we got that from? I said, um, we got that from Al Gore. He didn't just invent the internet. He also invented. <laughs> yep. He Tipper, also invented yeah. the uh, and and his wife Tipper, right? But but the idea there that there there if you remember that entire that entire debate was was about like especially with young people that certain kinds of music, specifically heavy metal and rap music, yeah. that it's not just the lyrical content. It's the it's those guitar riffs. It's it, you know that it's that it's causing them to do violence to 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 each other so much so that parents need to know. So that there's a there's a warning label that this music is actually dangerous in its <laughs> content and not just its lyrical content. Which really backfires because then as a kid you were like, oh. oh, that record must be lame. It doesn't have the warning label on it. <laughs> well, yeah. Which really just confirms what Paul says when Paul says before the commandment, I didn't know what covetousness was, you know. But once <laughs> the commandment came, then I coveted. So I, I, I just think that's a that's a fascinating. I mean, it still works its way down. You know, it still works its way on down to, you know, to recent to recent history this this you know whole idea that that music is powerful um and 
and so it's be- I think it's just good for us the the injunction would be just to to acknowledge that right right, right. and to and to and to, and to use it use it in the I mean think about it how, how, how often I know you guys are like now like, apparently budding hip-hop fans right? <laughs> how often might you find yourselves uh, in, in the near future um, uh, saying to yourself you know getting some less than less than sanctified ideas into your head here because it's catchy mm-hmm. you talk, by the way to bring this all the way back you I said thought you about like, drive by shooting up Mike's office see and then and then uh, you were talking about work are you talking about that song by Rihanna that one's like work, 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 work. That one. Yeah. I know. I realize that this that that, that the, the theme of with, that is really bad. Well, the thing is with most. <laughs> you said guilty pleasure. I, with yeah. all this mumble rap, this you don't know rap. what they're saying, anyways. You know, it's just the beat. It's not the lyrics. Kids these days are not about the lyrical content, so it's That's, easy not to realize what the song's see, about. O, OGs like Wade. Yeah. See, they're they're all about they're all about the lyrics and exactly. the content and and social uh, consciousness and. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. So we are just about at time. So uh, why don't, uh, I think there's about three more episodes we can unpack yeah, from we, this. At we some will point definitely though. have Doctor Zimmer on again. As we said, it was it was too long of a, a stretch before we had him on. A, a, um, from the we last, we do time. need to talk Z, uh, um, talk uh, Weezer at some point. Though, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, so um, why don't we? Uh, do you have anything? You want, you want the last word? You want to say anything for the last? Uh, wrap it up for us. Not really, except that I'm really like getting my mind around that the concatenation of influences that was Wade's childhood and young adulthood in in Detroit Rock City is. is, I'm gonna have to take some time to unpack that a little bit. Doctor, this is where you turn around and run the other way. (laughs) (laughs) You you want to close this, Wade? Well, he. Dr. Zimmer's supposed to close. So, whatever music, power, um, not Nazism, um, diss tracks, when it all boils down to it, uh, what's the one thing we can do, Dr. Zimmer? Let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I say, I'm up. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, one more round, won't get me down.